Uh, my name is Levi. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Redeemer Church, um, and it's my my privilege and, and joy to, to bring the uh, bring the sermon here this morning. Um, it's good to see who shows up today. It's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. The World Cup is going on. The U.S. Open is going on. There's a chance for a lot of men to not be here today, and so it's good to see uh, some fathers represented here. Good to have you here. Um, it's the day where we honor fatherhood. Um, Honor your sacrifice, honor your, your hard work, the way that you uh, give selflessly, um, so many ways that you do that, and it's just right and fitting, I think, to step back and, and just honor, honor fathers, say thank you to, um, to our fathers here at Christ Redeemer Church, and I'm so thankful to know a lot of the dads here, I don't know everybody super well, but a lot of the dads I do know here, and it's just a privilege to stand shoulder to shoulder with a lot of these men as we lead our families, as we shepherd our children, um, I'm just so privileged and just sense the grace of God in our lives here at, in our church um, for our fathers. So it's good to do this together. Uh, Dana did mention, and I appreciated it this morning, just the fact that um, the, just the subject of fatherhood can arouse different feelings in us. And, you know, um, it can be a really joyful celebration. It can also be a, a more difficult topic for you, and I do want to recognize that this morning, that um, it can be, you can be a little bit of a mixed bag here. And joy and sorrow, they swim in the same oceans. And um, you, you, for whatever reason, there might be a lot of sorrow connected to the idea of fatherhood. Thinking even just about if you've lost your father recently, this could be your first Father's Day, where your dad's not here. And I just want to Stop and honor that and respect that and, and, um, and, and let that sort of just kind of take it in, I guess, and, and acknowledge you this morning. And so wherever you're at with Father's Day, I do pray that today you would see how God's grace um, has been sufficient for you, is continuing to be sufficient for you in both the joy and definitely in the sorrow that can be connected to, to fatherhood today. So um, may God's grace be sufficient. May you see him shine brightly today, wherever you might be. Uh, before we jump into the, the, the text here this morning, I do want to say a quick word of prayer, and then we're going we're gonna to dive in and going to aim this message at fathers today, just so you know that up front, but um, done in such a way that I think everyone here can benefit um, from hearing, hearing uh, this message today. But uh, I did want to let you know that I'm kind of aiming after, at fathers, and especially fathers who are trusting in Jesus this morning, want to encourage you to continue in that. So, but let's pray, and then we'll jump in, all right? Well, Heavenly Father, man, we get to call you Father. How, uh, what a privilege it is, God, that you call us sons and daughters. You adopt us into your family. Um, And as we just sang, that you are such a good Father, good in everything that you do, perfect in everything you do, never making a mistake, um, loving us uh, better, better and, and more deeply than we really even can, um, can know and experience, God. And so thank you for that. We do, we do look to you today, God, to, uh, to teach us, to um, encourage us, to instruct us, Lord. We, we recognize that our, our nourishment is not just in, in bread and, and water and, and physical food, Lord, but is also very much at a deeper level, Lord. It is your word coming to us, your, your, um, uh, your spirit filling us and illuminating us to, to, the, to truth. And we just want that this morning. Lord, we want you to speak. We want to have ears to hear. And we ask that you would help us to, um, 
hear you and to see you this morning, Lord, in, in your word and in Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, so over the years, I've, I've developed uh, a new habit in my life, and it has, has benefits, and it, it, has, um, it can be annoying at the same time. And it's this habit of every time I need to purchase something, a frying pan, light bulbs for the house, tires for the car, I have this need to go online and look at a bazillion reviews to find out exactly which one I should get. And I'll read this review and that review and go to this review and over here. And it's kind of helpful because you, you get what you wanted, you know. But literally, the light bulbs in my house, I reviewed those. They're at Walmart. They're $2, and they're fantastic. And there's product review for almost everything out there. You don't have to make an uninformed decision anymore in life. And it's kind of exciting, and it's also super paralyzing at times because I, I realized this a couple weeks ago. I was riding my bike, and it was one of the... I think it was the first bike ride I've had this year where I didn't have my kids. And so I was riding a little faster than I normally do. And I got to thinking, man, I should, I should probably have a helmet on, like at some point. I didn't grow up wearing a helmet. We didn't do that in the 80s. Uh, I should probably wear a helmet, though. I know that's probably a good idea. And I got to thinking, why don't I have a helmet? I've had a bike for two years now. Well, I'm, I'm actually still reviewing helmets, I remembered. I, I, I looked two years ago at a helmet, and I liked it. But I didn't like the price, so I kept on reviewing and looking at this and that. And it's paralysis. It sets in. It's all, it's just, I can't make a decision. I don't want to spend five bucks on a cheap helmet, when I sh- but I don't want to spend this money. And it's uh, product review paralysis. PRP is what it is. And you can get stuck there for years. I'm learning. And that is, in this day and age, with all this information, I'm thinking about this with fathers. And I'm thinking, man, there, is so, there are so many voices screaming at you as a father this morning, for all of us really, but as fathers screaming at you for your, your attention, your time, listen to me, there's this advice out there, there's this counsel out there. You have a barrage of decisions to make regarding your finances in the home, decisions at work that kind of affect the home, that could affect the home, that you're trying to navigate, how should I, how should I decide this thing? You have uh, education decisions to make for your children, all kinds of uh, decisions regarding what, what days you take off. How am I going to use my, my vacation days this year? Important talks that you want to have with your kids that you don't know how to have with your kids, but you know that you need to have with your kids. And there is just all this stuff kind of coming on at the same time. You didn't really get to prepare for it. It just starts to happen. And again, there's these voices that are telling you all the time, do this, do this. You shouldn't have done that. This is the thing you should do. And it hits you like at 1030 at night when you're trying to go to bed and you just can't go to sleep because you got all these things you're thinking about, all these things coming at you. And you really can get paralyzed not knowing exactly what to do. You just keep your head down, you go to work, you come home, and you just feel somewhat aimless in terms of what am I doing besides what I absolutely have to do to survive. And it can get sort of paralyzed in that way. And my desire, my aim this morning is for God's word to to cut through that noise a little bit, to kind of cut through um, all those voices, all those things tugging at you, and 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 center on one thing that that we can say without a doubt, this deserves full attention. This thing here deserves constant attention, constant time, 
constant work. Don't ever let go of this thing, even though you've got a lot of other things you're thinking about. And that one thing, fathers, today is, is simply your heart. I just want to talk about the heart of a father today, the heart of a leader today. And I think it applies to everybody here, but it very much applies to, to fathers who are trying to lead their families well. And so, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 17. It's the text we're going to go to today. Deuteronomy 17. And we're going to start in verse 14. And just to set it up briefly here, <clears throat> uh, Deuteronomy 17, this is, a, this is the part of the Bible where Israel's getting ready to head into the promised land and they're receiving more instruction from Moses as to what they'll do when they get there. And this is a passage where God instructs Israel on what, what, what does a king look like in Israel? What kind of king should you have, Israel? And so um, we're kind of listening in as fathers. I do realize nobody here that I know of is a king of a nation of any sort. But uh, you are, uh, so to speak, you're a king in your home. You're leading your home. And I think there's some principles we can learn, some things we can draw out from this text that's written for kings to, to men, to fathers who are trying to faithfully lead in your house. And so um, let's take a look. Let's make some observations for fatherhood. And uh, I just identified three here. And we'll take a look here at the first one. Starting in verse 14, um, let's go ahead and read. Deuteronomy 17, 14. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who, who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, he shall never, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. We'll stop there. We'll keep reading in a little bit, but we'll stop right there for now. That first text, that first part of this text here is really just a great big warning. God starts off with a warning. And if I was going to sum all that up, I would say this principle is is simply to be on guard against self-centered leadership. As dads, be on guard against the self-centeredness that can come with leadership. You know, you have a king. King has... This absolute power uh, it wasn't the democracy we're used to. There's no voting him in and out of office every four years. There's nothing like that. This king uh, arrives and is given great power. And the temptation to use that power, to turn that power into like a self-centered focus, getting things for himself, is, is very, uh, very great. And it's actually quite common for kings to do that, to, to just acquire for himself things that he, he wants. Um, without any kind of uh, thought to, to not doing that. And it's, a, it's unique to the position of leadership, and especially here for a king, 
to, uh, to have, uh, not just to have that temptation, but have opportunity to act on that temptation, often as a king. And the three specific temptations regarding self-centeredness that I think he, that is getting highlighted here in the text is, first of all, a desire for power, a desire for status, and a desire for wealth. And in all these verses, I don't know if you caught that, but it says, for himself, horses, for himself, wives, for himself, wealth. It's highlighting this, this self-focus of that, that can come, that this temptation that can come with, um, with leadership. So there's power, status, and wealth with the horses. If you read again verse 17, the first, or uh, 16, sorry, verse 16, it says, He must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt uh, in order to acquire many horses. Now, of course, a, a king should have a strong army, army uh, so he should, he's going to look for horses. He's going to try to build up an army for the sake of protecting his people, for the sake of, of keeping them safe from any enemies. Nothing wrong with that for a king. It's this idea of kind of getting obsessed with power, kind of letting the power go to his head, the position become kind of a power thing. So for himself, for his family, getting all these horses to secure power, to make sure anybody who comes against him, he has in his personal sort of pastures over here, horses, a personal army that's ready to, to defend him. And uh, God is saying, you won't be a king like that. I don't want to, I, Israel will not have kings that try to secure power for themselves by going all over the place, getting horses, getting strength, being obsessed with power, and more of it. And then let's look at the next one, verse 17. I already mentioned that it's a desire for status. But verse 17, it says, He shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. You know, ultimately, uh, in the ancient Near Eastern culture in that world, uh, many wives was a status symbol. It, you might you marry wives strategically, maybe to form alliances with someone, maybe to increase your status with, with some other people. Maybe just because the woman is beautiful and you want to you wanna fill your castle, your, your home with all these beautiful, beautiful women so that when someone comes, they just see, see your, your world, your wives, all these people. Solomon's the, the chief example of that with his 700 and some. It's, it's meant to look, it's meant to make the king look awesome. It's, it's meant to make him look amazing. It's a status symbol for him. And it, it produces all sorts of other problems but the temptation is very real for a king who can do what he wants to do, no matter what, to try to raise his status among other people by having many, many wives, many, many children with these wives. And, uh, and God says again, uh-uh, not in my land, not with my people. That's not what my kings are going to look like. You don't pursue greater status that way for yourself. And lastly, that verse 17, the end of it, um, we read that uh, you don't, he will not acquire for himself excessive silver and gold, more money. Um, I mean, we, we, we get this. Of course, the king would need to produce a, a, a help produce an economy in the, in, the, in the nation so people can thrive, so they can do well, but not, but not just to pad his pockets, not just to tax them uh, really uh, to where they're, they're in poverty and, and just take all their money or, or wage unjust wars to, to get more wealth. That's not the kind of king that God is going to, um, 
set up in Israel. It's not what he's calling the king to. So there's these warnings, and they're all idols. At the, at the heart, they're all about self-centeredness, and they're all things that can just turn into idols for this king. And this is what God leads with, with this is what my king will look like. First of all, be warned. You're not going to be like the other kings. You're going to do things differently. Self-centeredness abounds in the world of, of kings and leaders, but not so with you. That's, that, that's not what I'm calling you to do. You're going to do it differently. And, man, I just want to, like, let's just stop for a second and take that to heart, fathers, right? Let's just, let's just let that land a little bit. I know the context is different, but let's land, let's let the, the, some of the principles kind of land on our hearts that, man, my, our positions of, of leadership um, do have occasionally temptation to, to misuse the power that we have or misuse the authority that we have, forcing our will upon our family or, or dominating uh, our, our wives to, for our will and figuring out how to do that, how to do it in whatever way works best. And that's a real temptation. I mean, it's a real temptation for anybody, really. But in leadership, it can, it can kind of get to your head. You can start to feel like, I just need to be, I need to feel like I'm in control. I need to feel like I have the power here. And we can misuse it. And so let's, let's go ahead and let that land, right? Let's just say, yeah, that's, that's real. Lord, help me. I don't want that. I don't want to be that way. But the temptation's real. Regarding status, man, this, this I, I think we can relate to as well. Uh, wanting people to think really well of us. Uh, caring about our, the vehicles we drive or where, how we're seen at work, how we're perceived at work. Uh, can be very, too important to us, very important to us. What neighborhoods we live in, how, our, how big our house is, how much money we make, status type stuff that can, that can um, become for us real, real, uh, real traps, basically. Things that we'll, we'll make maybe poor decisions for our family because we're kind of after a, being seen a particular way, having a certain status. And that's just stuff we got to guard against. We just got to be warned against, knowing like, oh, that's, that's real. And in my position of leadership, I got to be aware of that. And lastly, that riches thing, um, I think we all get this. There's, there's a love for money that's real, and we never feel like we have enough and, and feel like if I just worked a few more hours or if I just took this other job or this promotion or this, that thing, this or that thing, um, it can become for us kind of the pursuit. And we say, we can say, um, I'm just trying to provide for my family. I'm just trying to put dinner on the table. But in actuality, there can be deep down in the heart just pure love for money. Just, just a love for money is all it really is. And so here's some warnings. God's just saying, hey, my king won't be like this. And as fathers, I look at this and I want to say, oh, that's real for me. I don't want to think that I'm ever past any of these things. And so when self-centeredness shows up in any way, we take it seriously as fathers, knowing that, oh, I want to um, be careful here. I think the value of being known by other men is probably the most significant and helpful thing in, in kind of uh, taking these warnings seriously. It's being around some other, some other brothers, some other men who know you well enough, who can speak into your life, who who can pick up on some things that are, they're hearing that are a little inconsistent with what you say you believe. It's very, very, very important to be with other men, to have that fellowship, to have that, that genuine interaction, because honestly, you just can't see all that stuff in your heart. You can't see the way it comes up. 
You can't see how it sneaks up on you. So, so, so there's, there's how, how God leads in this text to say, first of all, just know I'm calling you to something different and the, the temptation's real to, to manipulate your role into a position where it's, it's kind of turning into it's all about me and figuring out what I want. So um, we take that to heart and moving along, we just simply ask the question, okay, that's that, what do I do? What should I do as a father? What, what, what's the, what are the things I should pursue? And so let's read on in verse 18. So God gets to it in his word here. He says, When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, here's what he'll do. He shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest and it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and those statutes and doing them. I'm just going to stop right there at the end of verse 19. So here's what we should do. I find this a little bit humorous actually. I mean you think about a king just finished the coronation ceremony, all the pomp, all the excitement, all the festivities. You know, this, this is our new king, and, and he gets up the next day and he goes to his office, and there's an old Levite sitting there with a pen and a piece of papyrus and says, your first order of business, oh mighty king, is to, to start writing, to copy your personal copy of, of this law right here, of this Bible. It's not to establish peace with so-and-so. It's not to wage war. It's not to fix the economy. It's not to make big, amazing decisions right away. It's actually, just start writing. <laughs> just, just sit down and start writing. Imagine if we did that, like, Mr. President, welcome to your first day in office. Uh, here's the Bible. Start reading it. That's what you're going to do today. You're going to start here, and then we'll talk about China, and then we'll talk about trade, and, and all those other things. It's, it's almost humorous because it's so far removed from the way we view leadership. And that's how God says, here's, here's the word. Start copying for yourself a personal copy. And the Levites are going to watch you just to make sure you get it right. You don't get any of the spelling wrong and don't get any of the words wrong. They're going to be right there making sure you do it. And at the heart of this, what's going on really is the king, the description here is coming under the authority of God's word. That's what's going on. The king should come under the authority of God's word right away. Not, not so that he can be the smartest theologian in the room, not because he wants to appear spiritual for his people, right? Not because it's just something the king should do, and it, it's, you know, it's just one of the things you do in life as a king. It's not the aim of any of this. The aim right there in the text is to meet with the living God through the living word so that you might learn to fear the Lord. That's the aim. The heart, right away, the, the, the thing that God centers on is the heart of the king. It's not much different than even when you think about eldership in a church. What's the, what are the descriptions of an elder from 1 Timothy? It's almost all, it's, it is all heart stuff. It's all heart. Not necessarily skills and talents, but heart. Leadership and heart go together. It's the most critical piece of your leadership, your heart. And so, 
this is highlighted here in this text to say this, pay attention to God's word. It's not something you just, it's not a way you know about God. It's the way that God actually talks to you. He actually communicates with you through this word. And the aim is to fear the Lord. Which brings up the question, what is that? <laughs> what is the fear of the Lord? We hear the expression, the fear of the Lord, but, but what is it exactly? So let's define it. The fear of the Lord, it's found throughout Old Testament and New Testament. Um, it's very concentrated in the Psalms and the Proverbs. Just that expression comes out all over. So I'm going to grab a few verses here, and we're going to try to just define what is this fear of the Lord that we're aiming toward um, through our reading and contemplation, meditation on God's Word. One of the most common definitions of the fear of the Lord is, and maybe you've heard this, is just an awe of God, to be awestruck by God. It's a common definition. Psalm 33, 8 says it this way, connecting these ideas. It says, Let all the earth fear the Lord, and let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Fear and awe. Uh, one, one person I read this week uh, said it this way. I thought it was helpful that the fear of the Lord captures both the idea of, of, of shrinking back in fear, like this posture, I'm afraid, and kind of being drawn, drawn in with awe. So both these things are going on at the same time. It's this magnificent, like, I am, to the, I am actually afraid of God to some degree, but he's just so beautiful and majestic and awesome that I, I'm drawn toward him. Those two things, two things come together in this idea of being in awe of God. It's, it's the appropriate response to God, if you think about it. This is just basically a summary of an appropriate response to God is to be in awe of God. And I know that, like, when I'm not in awe of God, when you're not really feeling in awe of God, well, that's, that's just a sign that there's probably something a little off in the heart. Some, something's, something's, something's wrong in there when we're no longer in awe of God, but rather bored by him or just kind of comfortable with him um, without any kind of awe. And uh, Paul Tripp picks up on this, and he says, I think a helpful quote it's just saying that before we have a law problem, that is a sin problem or something in our heart, before we have a law problem, we have an awe problem. And, and that's absolutely true. I think just in my own life I can see that. When I'm no longer in awe of God for whatever reason, I've got some hardness in, heart, in my heart too that I, I probably can identify or I know someone could identify in my life. Um, so that's one. The fear of the Lord is an awe of God, being amazed by God. Another definition of the fear of the Lord is that it is a hatred for evil. Just a hatred for evil. Do not like evil. Do not want evil. Don't want to see evil prosper. A hatred for it. Proverbs 8.13 says it this way, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. There it is. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate uh, Proverbs 16.6 6 says this, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Proverbs 23.17, Let not your heart envy sinners. You ever envied sinners? Feeling like <laughs> they seem to have no care in the world. <laughs> Let not your heart envy sinners, but 
fear, uh, but uh, fear the Lord, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Uh, and then Proverbs 3, 7 through 8, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So the fear of the Lord is a hatred of evil. It's an awe of God. It's a hatred of evil at the same time. It's also defined or explained as the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 says it simply, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So these three things, I think, really give us a good definition of what is the fear of the Lord? Awe of God. Hatred of evil. And it's the starting starting place of wisdom. It's the cornerstone. It's the foundation of, of wisdom. And I would just add, because of our text here in Deuteronomy, that the fear of the Lord does not come naturally, but it's learned. It's actually a learned heart condition. Psalm 34 says this, 34.11 says, Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and, love, and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And again, in Deuteronomy 31, this is our book we're in. Assemble the men, the, the men, the women, the little ones, the sojourner within your towns, that he may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law, that their children who have not known it may hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God. So, fear of the Lord. There, there it is, from the text being, being sort of uh, defined to us, explained to us, and how do we learn to fear the Lord? Firstly, I think it's important, to, very significant to start off just by saying your first step in fearing the Lord is, is in coming to Him in faith and just trusting in Jesus, just saying, yep, I have a sin problem, I need a Savior, I need rescuing. That coming to faith, that initial sort of faith in Christ is that first step of, this is what it means to fear the Lord. It's repenting of sin, it's turning away, it's owning up to it, and clinging now to Jesus, to his work on the cross, saying, that was sufficient for me. That I'm putting all my confidence, all my faith in Christ, not my works, not anything else that I can do. It's just coming to Jesus and saying, Save me, a sinner. Save me, God. So that's how, that's how, it, that's how it's initiated. That's like a first step, that, and that continues, that sort of attitude of save me, God. But it continues on from that. It's not just a one and done. You don't just now, I totally fear the Lord in all things. No, it actually takes a while. It's a, it's a learned process. And um, Paul talks about this in, in uh, Timothy. He says um, to Timothy in, in the second book of Timothy, this is Paul's last text that he writes, he tells Timothy to continue in what you have learned, how from childhood you've known the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So he says, urging Timothy, his young protege, his disciple, stay in the word, stay in the scriptures. You, got, you, need, you need this. These are my last instructions I can give you, Timothy. And what are they? It's continue on in the scriptures. And that's what Deuteronomy is getting at here as well, saying 
It is by reading this word. It's by saturating ourselves in this word. It's by holding this close to us, by coming underneath the authority of this word that one learns how to fear the Lord. It's what brings you to Christ in the first place, but it's also what, what drives that gospel, that truth of, God, of, of what God has done in Christ deeper into you. It's this word. Psalm 1-2 says, The one who delights in the law of the Lord meditates on it day and night, all the time, saturating your life in the Word of God. So what that means is it's, it's probably, practically speaking, more than just a little bit of quiet time in the morning or devotional time or God and I time or whatever you want to call it. Sometimes I don't like all the titles because it seems like time is the goal. Um, when time is not the goal, fearing God is our aim as we, as we open up our Bible, as we, as we try to understand, as we commune with Jesus through, through this word. And uh, it's not time. It's not checking it off a box. It is, it's a saturation. saturation. It's a full immersion into just the biblical world. I want, God, I need you to teach me. I need you to feed me. I need to come under this word. I need to be reminded of this word. I need to write this word out with my little pen, so to speak, you don't have to write it out. I'm not saying that. But, but here we have it. You know, we have printing press, and, and we have phones now. And so it's everywhere. It's all over the place. And I just don't think it's any different today than it was at any point in history. Here's God's word to you, this miraculous word given to you. Again, not just to learn about God, but it's actually God communicating to you. It's actually his word spoken, written to you, and it's active today. It's real today. It's alive today. That is the picture, I think, of, or, or kind of the aim of, of, of what Deuteronomy is saying to the king to come and, and copy the law. It's never let it out of your sight. Keep it close to you. Keep it close by you. Keep coming underneath it. Let it do its work in your heart. Um, I was, uh, these last few weeks I've been um, working on a little construction project for my, my boys. I got three boys um, and another one on the way, so I'm trying to stay ahead of the game just a little bit, and I'm, I'm building this little bunkhouse in the backyard. Up, we got this big hill, and, I, and I put a, I'm trying to put a bunkhouse up in the top so that they can go out there <laughs> and go hang out out there for a while and sleep out there with their buddies and, and stuff like that. So... Uh, and it's grown. It started off as this little thing, and like every project, it has gotten bigger. And um, for weeks now, all I've done is move dirt. I got my shovel. It's, it's a hill, so I've got to flatten out this area, and I'm just digging dirt, and I'm pushing dirt around, and I'm digging holes, and I'm digging in holes, and, and they're four feet, almost four feet deep, some of these holes, hitting rocks. And my hands, they still hurt like today. It's been several days since I've done it, but they hurt. My back will hurt. I'll come in after doing it for a few hours. I'm just totally wiped out. And, I mean, it's been hours of just digging holes and moving dirt. And the boys have kind of, they, they get excited, and then they realize this is taking a long time and get bored with what I'm doing. But there, there I am, and what am I doing? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to build up this foundation. I know if this foundation isn't rock solid, if I don't have total confidence in this foundation, I'm not going to be able to sleep at night. Like, I'm going to be worried about my kids out there. So I'm going deep. I'm going deep, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing it right. I'm going way deeply into the ground, 
knowing that in that, now the structure will stand. It can rain. It'll be okay. The wind can blow. It's going to be fine. It's not going to go anywhere. Um, That foundation is, is, is critical for the rest of the structure. And I think if we approach fatherhood um, tr- thinking about, like, again, the four windows and doors without thinking about a foundation that's going to hold this thing up, if we, if we approach fatherhood just to, to deal with the, the daily grind of what we have to do, but there's no communion with Jesus, there's no real heart work going on in testing by God's word, then, then, then we're in a, a situation where the, the fort can collapse and the, founda- the, the weakness of the foundation will show up in some way. Not saying your life will fall apart necessarily. It could. I'm not saying that would happen. But, but it's, it's, it's not the way uh, we're instructed as leaders, as fathers, to approach our, our role in, in fathering and leading. It's, it's heart work. Do this and keep doing this. You need to do it all the time. You need to do it every day. You cannot neglect the heart, because out of that will come everything else. All your leadership is connected to that. So, conversations about dating policies and education for your kids and teaching them how to work hard and how to follow Jesus, all the tangible, the real stuff of life that, that you do as dads, all of that stuff is going gonna, is gonna to just keep coming at you. From what I understand, from men who are older than me, it's just like a bigger train and it just keeps coming faster and you just you're just in it. Before you know it, you're in more situations than you thought you would ever be in in having conversations that uh, you, are, you are now surprised to have. And when that happens, man, if, we're, if, our, if our hearts are tuned into the Lord, if, if we're fearing God, walking with Him, then you're in the best place you can possibly be. You're still going to, like, obviously going to make mistakes, um, you're still dad, you're still human. You, the words, I'm sorry, should still be coming out of our mouths, you know, when we, when we mess it up in some way. But, but you're, if that heart condition is right, if you're humble and loving God, obedient, it, that is a description of the fear of the Lord, right? Then you're going to influence your family in the right direction. You just will. It'll just start to, it'll, it will come out of you. And, and so you don't have to be so overwhelmed to know exactly what to do all the time as much as just have, have a right heart before the Lord and, and take what comes at you and recognize, I'm not going to get it right <laughs> all the time, but I'm going to trust that, the, that Christ inside of me who's ruling in my heart is going to help me in all of these things. So, and again, we don't do it in isolation. I just want to emphasize that because men can suffer from John Wayne syndrome in our spirituality a lot of times where we just go it alone, you know? I don't need help. I I operate better by myself. No thank you. And uh, men especially, we just need to keep telling each other that's not how it's meant to be. Like, you're really not meant to do this alone. You're meant to do this in community with with other men, um, with other families, around you, uh, helping you in this. So we have the Word, we have men, we have the Holy Spirit working in us. That's the picture of, of, of leadership that I think um, the Bible is painting here. So we want to develop a love for God's Word with the aim of learning to, continuing to learn to fear God. And the last principle here to look at, principle number three, is just that... Um, that we're called to service, not superiority. Fathers, we're called to service, not superiority. And I'm thankful. As I look out here, I'm like, man, 
a lot of the men I know, a lot of the fathers I know, are servants, are, embrace this call to, to serve their family. And again, I, I benefit from that, and you benefit from that, that we have, um, that there are fathers here, so many fathers here that I know are, are pursuing that. Not to be superior in their home, but to be servants in their home. And I just gather this from uh, verse 20. If you want to look at verse 20 of Deuteronomy 17, he says there that his heart may not be lifted up above his brother's. And that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right or the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. But that word brothers, that's a, that's a word of humility there. It's not subjects, right? It's not servants, it's brothers. It's a picture of humility. The king, the great mighty king, is actually just a brother of, of, of the same family. Um, so that picture of humility, thinking about humility... Um, what does it mean to be a humble father? Uh, how, do we, how do we be humble, humble fathers? Um, there's a bazillion opportunities, right, in our homes to do that. There's a, a lot of opportunities to serve, to be humble, to model this, to choose humility instead of, instead of pride. Um, so I do want to recognize, like, and, and let the Spirit just bring to your attention in the moment or even right now this morning ways to be humble leaders, humble Humble fathers who, who model this, uh, this, this humility um, that comes out of, I think, fearing the Lord. But one of the ways, I did think of a couple ways that I think um, helps cultivate humility in our home, um, helps, helps shepherd our children into what humility looks like. Um, not the only, couple, only two ways, but they, they come out of, one of them comes out of Deuteronomy here, so I thought it was pertinent. But... Um, One way is just to connect our personal stories to the gospel story for our children. Connect your personal story to the gospel story for our children. What I mean by gospel story is just very simply the good news that Jesus came to rescue you out of your slavery to sin. Connect your story to that. Connect your story to to that slavery to sin because you know what? Kids are, kids are curious. They're, they're curious about God. They're curious about church. Why do we do things the way we do them? Um, they're curious about your life, Dad. They are. They're curious, what, what was slavery like to you? Why does God mean so much to you? Why are you reading your Bible all the time? It might not be articulated, but there is a genuine curiosity there. And I think the older kids get and turn into students and teenagers and, and then eventually into adults, the more real that question is. Like, they, they really do kind of wonder, um, how, why is this so real to you, Dad? Why is, why is Jesus such a big deal? Why, are you, why, are we, why do we go to church services and do life groups? And why do you have this men's group? And what really, because kids have a great radar. They can sniff out if something's not genuine. They can kind of sniff it out if it seems like we're doing this just to uh, just to measure up or just to, to look like a good family or something like that. They, they just have an innate ability to kind of catch on to anything like that. And one way you can come in and, and sort of just help them see the beauty of the gospel is to connect your story, to not be so private that you can't actually sit down and, and tell your children age-appropriate stories, of course, but tell them why Jesus is such a big deal to you, why it's so important that I meet with these guys and talk with them about things. Why, why is that important? What's the deal there? 
coming alongside, telling your, telling your story, connecting it to Jesus' story, to the gospel story, is hugely important. And I'm getting this from life experience to some degree, but Deuteronomy chapter 6 um, talks about this. If you go back just a few pages from, from our Deuteronomy text, Deuteronomy chapter 6 says this um, in verse 20. It says, When your son asks you in a time to come, so someday, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God has commanded you? This is a, just a fantastic answer. Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. That's the starting point of the gospel for, 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 uh, in, in this passage in Deuteronomy. We were, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. We had a problem. We were slaves. And then the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And then the Lord showed signs and wonders and great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before his eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And I'll just stop right there. But just taking, our, taking, taking a cue from that and saying, not a real theological explanation right away. It's personal. Like there's a personal element when, when your, your kid asks you, you get into that conversation, why do we do this? Why does this mean anything to you? What does is, what is this aspect of theology mean? I challenge you to make it personal. And the reason I connect it to humility is because you're, you were a slave to sin. And it, it takes some humility to, to admit that, to kind of come off what can sometimes be created in the home as sort of a, a spiritual pedestal for dad and to come off that and say, no, no, son, no, no, daughter, you don't, you don't know. <laughs> I was a slave to sin. I desperately needed a savior. And to come in at that level, I think, makes... Again, it just, it makes the gospel come alive. It makes the story of Jesus mean so much more when they get a sense of what really happened with you. Why are you so tenacious in your faith? How have you persevered all these years? What's going on? It gives you opportunity. But it takes humility. I think it absolutely takes humility to, um, to, be, to be that open in our families, to be that open with our children sometimes. But, um, but so worth it. Such a good thing to do. Um, and what you're doing is you're simultaneously teaching your children what it looks like to, f- to fight the fight of faith. As you, as you tell them kind of that struggle and, and what that looked like and, and, and open yourself to some of the questions that your kids might ask. You're, you're, you're at the same time teaching them how to use a sword, how to, how to, what it looks like to get skin in the game in following Jesus. You're, 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 you're you're explaining, as you're talking to them about your story, you're telling them how you have overcome temptation, what's worked and what hasn't. That, that takes, again, it takes some humility. It takes some sort of willingness to go there, to not necessarily know where this conversation's going to go. But I'll, I'll, I'll tell you my story, son. I'll tell you my story, my daughter, whoever it might be. But your kids will appreciate it. I know, just looking back at my life, the, the occasions where my father might have gotten into some more um, personal conversation like that, I just remember it so vividly. And he came from the generation, I think, that just didn't do that real often. You know, dad stays somewhat, somewhat removed about spiritual things. Not that he didn't care, but it wasn't, like, expected as much um, and weren't really uh, equipped for that very well. 
But I do remember when he would step into that, and I still remember to this day the way it, it, it filled me up, it charged me up, it encouraged me, and it, it just reminded me, it helped me see my father as like, he's just a man. <laughs> he's just a man, and he's just trying to walk with Jesus. And, and the older I got, the more I appreciated those times. And so I, I just would encourage us men to, to, that's a way to lead humbly, is to be real with your kids, uh, and, and don't be afraid to talk about where your struggles have shown up in your life and where they still are. It doesn't have to be 30 years removed. You, it can be yesterday, you know. Uh, depending on the age of your kids, obviously you, you take that into account, but, um, but so helpful. And I think we see it modeled here in Deuteronomy with this answer of we were slaves first and foremost. Um, I think lastly this morning I just want to notice and highlight especially that this description in Deuteronomy is a, uh, like none of us can do it perfectly. Like none of us are going to succeed in this really. <laughs> this is, this is uh, too high of a calling. We're all going to fall short as fathers, as husbands. Like that's going to happen. Just, that can happen by the end of the day here. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll be honest about that right away. It can happen if you're a student or if you're a wife, if one of the ladies here. It's just true. We're not going to really measure up. We won't. But what do we do with that? I think ultimately what we do is we recognize Jesus did this perfectly. Like he was the only king who actually did this perfectly. He's the only king who came and emptied himself, right, from Philippians. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself in obedience. This is fear of God type language. He humbled himself in obedience to the point of death on a cross. Ultimately, this text just points us to Jesus and says, he's done this. Like, he has accomplished all of this and right now, he's alive and well. He's interceding for you, Dad. He's interceding for us fathers. Um, he's holding on to you. The, the Spirit has been sent to be your helper, to, be, to, be a, 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 um, to, to help you in wisdom, help you in decision-making, help you in all the things that you have to do as a father. Jesus has accomplished all of this for us. And so our hope is in him today, not really ultimately in me. I'm going to aim for it. I'm going to strive for it. I'm going to go after it. Um, but I'm looking at Jesus, who has accomplished it perfectly. And my confidence that it can be done uh, perfectly, I don't have any confidence that it will be done perfectly, but my confidence is in Christ who has actually done it perfectly. He's faithful, and he, he'll, he'll stand with us, and he'll, he'll continue to guide us and help us and strengthen us in, in our, our high royal callings as fathers. Um, we can have confidence in Jesus this morning. So let's pray, and um, we'll close here. Heavenly Father, I uh, thank you for um, your faithfulness as a father. Thank you for um, your word to us. Just thinking about the word this morning, this gift that you've given us uh, to, to come under your word, to read your word, to meditate on your word, to, to let it fill us with, with wisdom, to, to help it, to, to let it expose our hearts and guide us in. in um, into truth. Just thank you for your word, Lord. And we do pray, God, that our hearts would more and more and more be aligned to your heart. 
uh, that our hearts would more and more um, just love you, just uh, adore you, um, seek you, and fear you, God, that, uh, that we would be um, men and fathers, Lord, who, um, who walk in close fellowship with our Savior and lead from that place, trusting you um, with all the, all the details to come. So please help us in this, God. We thank you that you will. And in Jesus' name, amen.